So diversity is one thing, like having representation is one thing, but then actually being included at the table and having your voice heard and actually being a part of these decisions is a whole nother thing. And so I think for me, um, I used to be in the modeling industry and that was great. But then I realized like um, in order for me to make a difference, I actually need to be more involved with um, with the corporations or have a seat at the table to actually get work done. And so I think for me is eventually I want to hand the torch over to other Indigenous people and other Indigenous youth and women. And I want to see people that also look like me represented within these um, within these communities and communities. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time I'm the only Indigenous person there. So I can feel like a lot of pressure uh, to perform. So I eventually just want to hand the torch over. Shayla Stonechild started the matriarch movement two years ago to turn the tide on the mainstream narrative regarding Indigenous women that objectifies their bodies and their culture. What started as a social media platform to amplify the voices of Native women and create a community for sharing stories of empowerment, prosperity, and resilience has in two short years become a full-fledged nonprofit hosting wellness workshops and retreats specifically for Indigenous youth who don't often see themselves reflected in the wellness space. When I first interviewed her back in December, she told me, I realized there was a lack of representation for Indigenous women in the state of resilience and excellence. We're always deemed as missing, murdered, and vulnerable, and we're always in a state of survival. And I thought, the matriarch movement will be like a shift and a rise and a reclamation of who we are as Indigenous people, but specifically women. For Yoga Journal, I'm Lindsay Tucker, and this is The Yoga Show. Today, there are more than 4,000 documented unsolved cases of missing and murdered Native women and girls in the United States and Canada, according to a 2020 report by the Sovereign Bodies Institute, a research nonprofit checking gender and sexual violence against Indigenous people. And experts say these estimates are low, thanks to underreporting, racial misclassification, poor recordkeeping, and institutional racism affecting law enforcement and the media. For this crisis to even begin to be addressed, Shayla says, Indigenous women must be respected and valued, and perhaps, first and foremost, be seen. Shayla is the cover model of our March-April issue, and the first Indigenous woman to ever grace the cover of Yoga Journal. I'm both humbled and honored to have been able to tell her story in the pages of the magazine, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce her to you now. Hi, Shayla. Hello, Tansay. How are you? I'm doing well. How have you been since I last saw you? What was that, October? Uh, I think it was December, actually. Was uh, it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember it was December because it was like right before Christmas. But um, I'm doing good. I just got off um, a month of like burnout after that shoot. But yeah. I took all of January just to like rest and let my body and my spirit, you know, find stillness for once, which was nice. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. So you said you had an audition this week? Yeah, I, I auditions usually pick up around now. It's like pilot season. So I've been um, yeah, juggling auditions and classes and matriarch stuff. And <laughs> so yeah. I got a full schedule, a full schedule ahead. But it's all exciting things that I'm really looking forward to. Well, anything specifically exciting coming up that you want to tell us about? Yeah, a few exciting things coming out. I'm partnering with Paris Jewelers on a necklace. It's a golden arrowhead. And so that's coming out on International Women's Day. And all proceeds will be going to the nonprofit matriarch movement. 
also the release of Yoga Journal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like super excited and nervous. I'm like, what does it look like all coming together? Oh, it's beautiful. That will be on newsstands in March. So everyone make sure you grab a copy. We have Shayla on the cover and her story as the main feature in the magazine. What was it like for you to be on a Yoga Journal cover shoot? Honestly, I wrote down to be the first Indigenous person to be on Yoga Journal uh, magazine when I was taking my yoga teacher training. And so I, yeah, I literally wrote it down. I wrote down that and I wrote down to model for Lululemon and to see more Indigenous representation through that. And I thought it was going to take like five years and then it just came true and like less than two and I'm like okay I need to go back to my <laughs> list now and manifest some more things yes wow good for you so you are working with Lululemon now as well it's um it's called the Vancouver Pacer so basically it's like a diversity inclusion committee for Vancouver uh I'm on a year contract for that so we started I think our first meeting was in November and then I think it'll go till uh, this November. So we have our next meeting at the end of the month, um, just connecting with like a group of 18 to 20 people on how to create a more diverse and inclusive uh, industry within Lululemon. And what is it like working in an environment? I mean, Lululemon has been problematic in the past. I mean, obviously, so has Yoga Journal. So I'm not mm-hmm. the pot calling the kettle black. I'm just curious what it's like working with a brand like that now that they are trying to sort of turn the tides finally. Yeah, to be honest, it's been um, eye-opening just to see how like these bigger corporations work and how, as us individuals, we may have like a large... Um, visualization for ourselves and for what we want to see in the world but really it's at a much slower pace within the corporations and so I think for me it's just like learning patience that these things don't happen overnight that Mm. it is like daily work and we're not going to see what we want to um, just overnight like it's a it's a longer process I think is what's been the most eye-opening but also just connecting with like-minded individuals and ones that want to create um impact for the collective uh for the collective's own liberation i feel like it's really inspiring to also be around that especially during this pandemic because we don't really have a chance to connect like we were mm-hmm. used to mm-hmm. and in regards to sort of like the slowing of progress what would you like to see ultimately I think more, um, so diversity is one thing, like having representation is one thing, but then actually being included at the table and having your voice heard and actually being a part of these decisions is a whole nother thing. And so I think for me, um, I used to be in the modeling industry and that was great, but then I realized like um, in order for me to make a difference, I actually need to be more involved with um, with the corporations or have a seat at the table to actually get work done. And so I think for me is eventually I want to hand the torch over to other Indigenous people and other Indigenous youth and women. And I want to see people that also look like me represented within these um, within these communities and committees. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time I'm the only Indigenous person there. So I can feel like a lot of pressure uh, to perform. So I eventually just want to hand the torch over. And that's a little bit about what matriarch movement is about for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Matriarch Movement is a nonprofit organization amplifying Indigenous voices through sharing our stories. 
and through meditation, through movement, and through medicine. And when I say medicine, I don't mean like a Western uh, worldview. I mean an indigenous worldview, which is for everyone. And it's based on three factors, one being respect, two, reciprocal, creating a reciprocal relationship, and number three, having a relationship-based approach to the world around you. And what is that, a relationship-based approach to the world around you? So colonization has really fragmented ourselves to the land, the water, the earth, and also each other. Uh, when you start like looking as the earth and the land as separate than you, you're going to obviously uh, destroy it and you're going to capitalize off of it and you're going to look at it as it's a source of um, you know, money and wealth. And so having a relationship-based approach is actually connecting to the world around you and creating relationships with the land, creating relationships with the water. When you have a relationship-based approach, you're less likely to um, fracture or to destroy it. And so it's for the collective healing of humanity, I guess you could say, having a relationship-based approach. Okay. And you started Matriarch Movement a couple of years ago, and you said the idea came to you in a dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came to me in, yeah, like two years ago. I usually ask a question before I go to sleep and then I usually get the answer. And I went to yoga teacher training and I saw some similarities between the teachings um, that I grew up with and the teachings within yogic philosophy. And so I kind of wanted to combine the two worlds together. And so I, for the longest time, I didn't know what that was going to look like. And then I asked a question one night of like, what should I literally I just needed a name I was like what should I name this um this idea that I have and then the matriarch movement came to me at like four in the morning I woke up I was just like so buzzing full of energy and then I kind of put all the pieces together and it interwove it like interweaved into uh what is now the matriarch movement so today there are more than four thousand documented unsolved cases of missing and murdered native girls and women in the U.S. and Canada mm -hmm. is that the idea behind the name? Yeah, so matriarchs um, in traditional societies, sometimes the women were the leaders. They were the ones in charge of the decisions. And it was a balance between the masculine and the feminine energies, knowing that that's not, um, that's not like gender-based either. Uh, but the matriarchs were the leaders within some communities. And that got destroyed through the introduction of the Indian Act, which was established in 1876. So this tore away indigenous women from their well-respected roles within traditional societies and the indian act um, disrespected and saw indigenous women's voices and lives as disposable and so i think what's happened here throughout canadian history has um threaded to what is now happening with missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and the reality of the situation is we don't even know how many are missing and murdered. I believe there's like over 5,000 that they can name, but Canada didn't even have a database for missing and murdered Indigenous women until I believe 2010. And so a lot of this um, abuse towards Indigenous women is at the hands of the Canadian state and colonization and the Indian Act of what's happened here in Canada. And so when you look at... Um, missing and murdered indigenous women, you also have to look at the intersections of what's happened um, here uh, because of the Canadian government. Yeah, so I do want to talk a little bit more about the Indian Act because not everyone listening would uh, will understand that that act, which what we said was 1876, that is still a large governing tool today. 
Yeah, um, the Indian Act was established to assimilate and to commit like genocide towards indigenous people. And you can read the book 21 Things to Know About the Indian Act by Bob Joseph. And that was my first time uh, putting all the pieces together to why um, why we have been in a state of vulnerability and why we're lacking is literally because they put everything um, against us, even down to... Uh, we couldn't speak our language, so you take away the language, you take away the worldview. Uh, we couldn't even, they wanted us to farm, and then we couldn't sell to other farmers. Uh, they had bans on uh, us being allowed to drink alcohol, so that's where the, um, you know, stereotype of the drunk Native person came into play. Uh, they had like so many, so many rules and regulations against us, one being residential school too, which the last residential school closed in 1996. And my father went to residential school. And so intergenerational trauma is a real thing. And it didn't happen that long ago. When you think of it, think of it, I'm the first person within my family who didn't go to residential school. And so that just factors in um, how much trauma is within the lineage, but also how much wisdom we have. We have a lot of wisdom. And most of these new age practices are not new age at all. They're actually based in indigenous um, wisdom that's been here for centuries. And so now I'm in the process of reclaiming that. So quickly, just circling back to residential schools, those were created to, quote unquote, assimilate indigenous children, colonize them, strip them of their heritage, forcibly removed from their homes. They were riddled with abuse. Mm -hmm. um, the Washington Post reported that from 1883 to 1998, at least 3,200 children died at res residential schools. The deaths were covered up. Many of the bodies were never found. Families weren't even notified. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, from 1886 to, yeah, I think they say 1996, but I honestly think it is 1998. Yeah, um, 1998. Yeah, and it was basically just to assimilate us into, um, into European-styled culture, and that came with... Um, uh, tearing away from our identity, our values, and our language. And uh, they really wanted to kill the spirit. That was their main goal, was to literally kill the spirit within um, the Indian, which is also not really a word that you should be using anymore. It's now like indigenous. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's a lot to take in and to comprehend, I think. I think for me, I'm in this position in my life where I'm moving kind of away from knowing so much about the history and starting to look into the future of what it means indigenous. Mm -hmm. I think we have so much power and resilience in what we've been through, but that is only one fraction of the story. And I think how can we pave the way um, towards a brighter future that is um, embodying and complementing our mind, body, and our spirit, and also together, I think. Yes. I agree. I do think it's important for listeners, though, to hear a little bit about the history because, I mean, I noticed something that you had posted on maybe Instagram, mm -hmm. um, complaining about Indigenous people, like, quote unquote, using their Indigenousness to go viral. Mm, and so mm -hmm. if, if, if people who don't understand the history are going to be throwing around accusations like that, you know, I feel like you have to kind of back it up and start 
Yeah, yeah. Like history is like provides the blueprint to uh, what's happening within the present. And I think there's um, when you know the history that leads to less ignorance and that leads to less um, racism, that leads to less stereotypes. And so studying the history and learning from Indigenous influencers who have the lived experience, too, because I think that's another thing is sometimes you go to an institution that has white people teaching Indigenous culture and it's like, okay, well, you've never uh, lived it. So who are you to say what this experience is like? But yeah, reading that book, 21 Things You May Not Know About the Indian Act is super eye-opening by Bob Joseph, as well as um, Sacred Instructions by Sherry Mitchell. And she kind of talks about how the history of religion and colonization and of destroying the land and of abusing our women um, has led us to really a separation of our spirit and to this illusion of that we are separate from one another, which is not the case. And so it kind of provides an overview of how do we move forward and reclaim the parts of us that was lost in this history. And that's a lot about what matriarch movement is about for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like for me, when I looked around my community, I saw a lot of powerful, strong Indigenous women, and I didn't see what mainstream media was preaching. I didn't see us always in a state of survival or in a state of lack and a scarcity mindset. I was like, no, I see abundance and I see women that are strong in their values and in their kinship and in their motherhood. And I, I really wanted something to represent that. And I also want us to be telling the stories as well. The Yoga Show will return in a moment after these messages. One of the women that you featured on your platform and you told me about when I was interviewing you for your cover story was Grace Dove, who was in The Revenant with mm-hmm. alongside Leonardo DiCaprio. She played his wife. And I hadn't realized at the time that we were speaking about this that she wasn't even invited to the Oscars that year. Yeah, she wasn't invited to the Oscars, but like <laughs> that goes to show like how white the Oscars are, really. Um, yeah. yeah, that was a big blow. I know she kind of took that personally, even though I think there was a lo- much larger issue that was being presented in that itself. Yeah, like hashtag Oscar so white. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was just... Yeah. That was a big year for that. And then The Revenant, I think, had 12 nominations, which was the most of any other film. So just to see the female lead not get invited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that just goes to show, too, of how society looks at Indigenous women as just like less than or not important. I think that um, it, and it all co- comes back to history and coming back to those stereotypes and coming back to how our voices haven't mattered to... <laughs> to uh, the government or to society in general for a really long time. I just listened to an interview with Mark Maron interviewing Selma Hayek last night. um, Mm -hmm. And she was talking about a lot of the issues in Hollywood, being a woman, getting parts beyond just like a sexy woman, getting respect as a director. And, you know, the conversation really resonated with me because I'm just interested in that sort of thing and women's issues. But also, it made me think of you because, you know, you're a show host, you kind of have your hands in so many different things. You've always said just existing as an indigenous woman is political, but especially in the spaces that you are existing in when we're talking about media, we're talking about modeling, we're talking about yoga. 
Yeah, it's honestly, I think it comes back to um, really coming back to my power and reclaiming my own energetic sovereignty and being so um, in my truth that the opinions and expectations and the judgments of others don't really matter if they're not um, amplifying uh, or supporting my highest self, then I just don't. And honestly, I pick my battles now. I have a lot of boundaries of who I want to educate, of who I want to, um, you know, communicate with, uh, because sometimes it's really draining and there's a lot of emotional labor that's involved with being the only Indigenous person in the in these uh, positions of power. And sometimes it get, can get really draining that I have to be mindful of like, yeah, again, like what battles I choose to go after. Yeah. So when we were on the photo shoot, I was doing the 108 second interview with you, which is um, a series of just fast paced, rapid fire questions. And one of the questions that we had been asking all the cover models that came before you was what's your spirit animal? And then you said, I don't have one because that's cultural appropriation. And then afterwards, we talked about that because I have to be completely honest. I was so naive and ignorant about what spirit animal was. I thought it was mm -hmm. like, this animal embodies my spirit. Like <laughs> I, you know, pizza is my spirit animal. Like, mm -hmm. no, it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, um, cultural appropriation I, is the, like the actual definition is the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the customs, practices, ideas of one people or society by members of another and typically more dominant people or society. And so cu cultural appropriation can see be seen across the wellness industry. I mean, you look at White Sage, you look at Sage, you look at Palo Santo, you look at um, uh, the word of spirit animal, the word of powwows. And I think for me, um, a lot of it is just like, I'm kind of offended because indigenous people were not allowed to practice their customs or their traditions or their spiritual ceremonies back in the Palach ban, which was in 1960s. And so we would literally get um, imprisoned or killed or fined for practicing our culture. And then for people to just toss around the word, mm -hmm. I'm just like, um, well, where were you back in the day when we were getting killed for doing that exact very thing? Um yeah, I, w I was surprised, too, that you said spirit animal. I wasn't expecting it. And that was the first thing off my tongue. I was like, oh, cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that you called that out, too, because um, I did a lot of self-reflection about it. I wrote an article mm. where I pulled up 12 other cultural appropriative terms or terms that are deeply steeped in racism that people may not have known about. Mm -hmm. um, and we've actually been getting a lot of feedback on that piece. Mm, I would love to read it. They had no idea. Yeah, yeah. No, there's Thank a you. lot of wrong def definitions on um, the dictionary. Like I'll, I'll Google powwow and it's like, oh, when you meet together with like your uh, work friends. And I'm just like, that's not the definition at all. Like who wrote this? And it's funny because sometimes, um, well, it's not funny, but like some people on my social media will come and define that definition. They'll be like, well, this is what the dictionary said. I'm like, well, that dictionary was probably written by a white professor. So <laughs> definitely was yeah. or just some idiot on dictionary.com <laughs> i know like this is not yeah this doesn't represent it <laughs> well yeah um i just wanted to thank you for that little teachable moment and and i recognize like you said it's draining to always be the educator and um i i acknowledge your experience and i also thank you yeah yeah no problem when did you first get into yoga 
I got into yoga when I was 18. Actually, uh, the woman you mentioned, Grace Dove, actually mm-hmm. took me to my first yoga class. And I was really hesitant because I had this um, conceived idea that uh, yoga was only for white women who could do headstands on the beach because that's what I saw reflected in advertising and social media. And so I had um, resistance towards yoga itself. And then I saw, though, what was changing kind of in Gracie and how she felt more... Um, you know, confident in her own body. And it was a good workout as well, too. And so I went to my first hot yoga class in Vancouver. And then that really just started uh, transforming my entire life. Everything that I've been suppressing at that age was all of a sudden just coming coming forward. I mean, when you're on your mat, you can't escape. You can't escape. It's like yeah. a mirror reflecting yourself and just you have to be there. Literally, there was a mirror in front of me and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like everything that I've been trying to run around, run away from is now here. And so I went on this process of practicing yoga for probably about two years when I really wanted to find out more about uh, its history. But I honestly didn't realize how much yoga offers and how much power and lineage, like the powers of the voices that have come from um, the yogic tradition itself. I was like, I had no idea that this was um, like an ancient Indian practice. I had no idea. So it really like shape shifted my life. And um, when you started yoga, you said you were kind of working through some stuff. Um, You had lost your father, correct? Yeah, I lost my father at 16 years old. And so My father went to residential school. He was in residential school for probably about four years. And then he was in a car accident at 16, which left him like severely injured. And so he was um, prescribed like a series of medications and one being morphine. And he eventually got addicted to the medications. And so he had a life um, full of just um, kind of addiction that led him into the prison system here, which is also usually just, I think the prison system is like 85% indigenous people, which also shows the racism Mm -hmm. that's happened and the traumas as to why they're in prison. And so he ended up taking his life when he was in that prison system um and I was 16 and so during that time I really had um I was presented with two ideas one I could let this be a crutch and I could stay in like a victim state which I had every right to or I could use this as like my power to channel um, and transform other people's lives into never wanting to commit suicide. I didn't want other people to feel as low as my father did. And so I went on this journey of healing and of finding myself, but also getting lost along the way. When I was 18, I also struggled with my own like substance abuse and my own um, demons, I guess you could say. And so yoga really helped me also let go of those toxic cycles that were holding me back. Mm-hmm. And when you started Matriarch Movement, you told me that you were doing a series of workshops that were kind of whatever the audience needed. So you said you talked about suicide um, awareness sometimes or addiction awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think right now for Indigenous people, our healing has to be at the forefront. I think a lot of us are still wounded, obviously, from like hundreds, 500 years of like suppression and violence towards us and so healing should be at the forefront but I also realize that I don't want to glorify sobriety or I don't want to make 
someone feel ashamed of not walking the red road. Because for me, when I was younger, I felt ashamed. I would listen to these motivational speeches and it was about, you know, coming into a place of sobriety. And I just felt ashamed because I was like, oh, well, I'm not completely sober. So there must be something wrong with me. And so always coming from a place of truth and authenticity and letting kids know that um, you're on your journey, but like, I don't know, alcohol also has a really bad, uh, it's done a lot of harm to our people and a lot of harm within our communities. And it's so, um, it's so normal in Western society to just have a drink um, during the weekend, to go out for drinks with your friends. And um, it was never in our communities, in indigenous communities. When you go to ceremony, when you do your rituals, when you sacrifice, when you dance, you have to be sober. Um, so it was never really in our communities. And so I think in the future, I will eventually probably walk the red road because that's going to be a deeper healing journey for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing you mentioned when you started learning yoga and realizing that it was this ancient Indian tradition and philosophy, and you started seeing a lot of um, similarities between your own heritage. Mm-hmm. Well, I realized like, yoga the word yoga is union and connection and it's balance between mind body spirit breath and it's it's like an act of uh, purification of purifying your own energy i mean when i do sun salutations i do it with an intention and a dedication to something greater than just myself and i usually um you know do a sun salutation to the four directions or i say let me be a vessel for creator or creation or for the seven generations and so with that, I saw a lot of similarities in the indigenous teaching of the medicine wheel. And a lot of indigenous tribes have their own version of the medicine wheel. And so it's a medicine wheel that is divided into four sections for to represent the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of yourself. And in the center is you. And on the outside of the circle is your support system, your family, your friends. And on the outside of that circle is your community. And on the outside of that circle is globally. And so it kind of represents the interconnectedness and the interrelatedness of everything and everyone. And so when I went to yoga, I also saw that in the philosophy and some of the teachings that they were teaching me. And so I was like, okay, this is, this is really cool. And so I went to uh, Tulum actually, and I took a yoga teacher training out there and I was toying with so many like philosophies in my head that I was getting kind of confused because I was like okay if this is called this thing and this is called that thing then like what is life like what is the meaning of all this and then I think the medicine man could tell because he's like Shayla I just want to tell you that like we all have our different um, languages and our different ways of describing things but we all come from the same source And so Mm -hmm. I think that's when he really put the pieces together. I was like, okay, so it is kind of the same. We just call it different things in different ways. And Mm -hmm. so that was kind of like an aha moment uh, for me. And you also mentioned struggling with like feeling like it wasn't yours to teach. And how have you kind of overcome that and come forth with your own style of teaching? Yeah, for a long time, I did feel like, um, like, in a sense, I was like culturally appropriating yoga because I'm not from that lineage and I wasn't also being taught by people from that lineage. And so I felt kind of this disconnection and I I took, that led me to taking like, f- 
I have over 500 hours of yoga teacher training experience because I was super um, not confident in teaching yoga because of that. And even to this day, I feel like I have so much more to learn. And so, like, for instance, I still need to learn my Cree language, but then I also need to learn Sanskrit. (laughs) So it's kind of like I have so much to do and I'm always still learning. But for me, I had to look at the impact that yoga was making on my life and the impact I wanted to give back to my communities. So I was finally like, let my fears and my insecurities just push them to the side so that I can begin to do this work for other people and start to provide that selfless service and not get stuck in my own insecurities because half the time it's just you versus you. It's not even gonna be happening. Like it's just yourself versus yourself. So I finally let that let that go. And I've been mentored by Ryan Lear and a few other teachers and they, um, they, they really made me feel confident in my practice and in my teaching. So without my mentors too, I don't think I would have actually taken that jump. And now you have the chance to be mentors to so many others. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm actually hosting a healing sharing circle with a group of Indigenous women with Seawalk. And there are 30, there are 30 participants, and there's a handful of them taking yoga teacher training. And I'm super excited because I'm like, yes, like this is this is the torch being passed down. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be right back with more from the yoga show. Let's talk about your show, Red Earth Uncovered, because I did get to see a few episodes online. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Season one was definitely like, so Red Earth Uncovered is a a docudrama series um, by the Aboriginal Television Network out here in Canada. And there I had the chance to travel across Turtle Island. And for those of you who don't know what Turtle Island is, it's what Canada and the States was called before the colonial borders came into existence. But there I had the opportunity to travel and uh, discover and uncover uh, Indigenous urban legends and how they've affected our history. And so I kind of get two perspectives. I get like the mainstream media one, and then I get um, the ones from like the knowledge keepers and the elders. And it was kind of, it was really eye-opening hosting a show. I've come from an acting experience, but there you're given a script and you can study. With hosting, you're kind of like thrown into the room and you like, you got to take control of the room. And for for me, I was kind of stuck in this pattern of thinking I had to show up as a character other than myself. But mm. then once I let go of that character and just became myself, then the real work came through. So I'm curious to know what episodes you watched because <laughs> um, I watched, I, th- I think it was called Thunder Eagle, a big bird. Oh, Thunderbird. Thunderbird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We watched that one and um, Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of episodes on Bigfoot. The States, Americans are obsessed with Bigfoot. Yeah. Tell us about some of the more interesting characters you've met on this journey. Oh, gosh. I mean, some people dedicate their lives to the unknown, which is, um, it's pretty respectful. I respect them, honestly, because I'm like, you are dedicated. Like, I love your persistence and dedication to finding out um, or even finding uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And okay, so this one guy that I interviewed, he actually like uh, he lived in like a, a shed, but everything in it was dedicated to Sasquatch. So mm. there was like a map on the wall that had each 
pinpointed spot where Sasquatch has been sighted. And then he had all the castings of the footprints and he had um, like a big Sasquatch cutout and he had all these things. And then I was just sitting there. I was like, I wonder where he sleeps. And then I looked <laughs> down on the couch and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I'm, sl- I'm sitting on where he sleeps right now. But the, the coolest experience for me I believe Sasquatch is real. Honestly, I'm probably going to sound like woo-woo on this, but it's connected to um, a lot of stories for uh, Indigenous people. Sasquatch has been pretty prominent in a lot of our teachings. And so Sasquatch is essentially like an interdimensional being or spirit or whatever word you want to use. And it comes to show you a lesson or to teach you something. And the reason why I believe it is because we did an episode out in Kentucky, I believe, or somewhere by Kentucky, and this Sasquatch man went and showed us where these uh, big, what did he call them, like Sasquatch, they looked like teepees, but they weren't. And they're in the middle of nowhere in this forest, and you could tell, like, these were gigantic trees that obviously got pushed down and formed into some kind of teepee or tent. And then so we're out there filming and all of a sudden we hear this Sasquatch whoop and it didn't sound like (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it, but it's like, I don't know. I can't do it, but it did not sound human and it did not sound like any kind of animal I know. And it did Uh it twice. Like it was once over there. And then 30 seconds later, it it dramatically went to another destination. And so after that, I was like, I'm a believer. (laughs) I have to be a believer. And my like director and all them, they didn't believe it. They thought it was a dog. I was like, there's no way that was a dog. (laughs) All right. So, um, did any of the Sasquatch believers that you interviewed, had any of them had any sightings? A lot of them. Yeah. There's been so many sightings of Sasquatch throughout um, Canada, um, throughout the States. And I think that's one common thread too, is like, I think that also goes with my um, observation of it being interdimensional because there hasn't been a Sasquatch found. So if you can believe in aliens, then why can you not believe in Sasquatch? Yeah. So is there just one Sasquatch or does he have a whole family of Sasquatches? There's a family of Sasquatches, supposedly, according to these stories. Some uh-huh. one of the sightings was with a like a family of like a Sasquatch and then baby Sasquatches. I don't know. Is there a proper word? I don't know either, but cute. <laughs> I'm gonna offend so many people out there. <laughs> My lack of terminology. <laughs> All right. So your show's now gonna be in its third season? We just finished filming season three. Um, we're supposed to be moving it to season four. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, uh, we are originally supposed to go to Iceland and Hawaii for season three, but that didn't happen because we couldn't travel. And so now season four is kind of on pause because of travel restrictions. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I'll hope for the best for you. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. What else is coming up down the pipe that you want to talk about? There's a lot. I'm getting a lot of uh, speaking gigs uh, just around resiliency and what that means to me. Also around values as being an indigenous woman. Uh, The matriarch movement, though, I really want to focus in on. I want to create an online library where indigenous youth and people from all over can practice with me. So I feel like that goes back to like the lack of um, representation within wellness spaces. When you Google Mm -hmm. yoga, it's usually like 
all white women practicing yoga when you go on youtube it's the same thing and so i want to create a resource where other indigenous uh youth and, and people can practice with an instructor instructor that weaves the two worlds together so the matriarch movement i want to start creating that and i think with the necklace with all the proceeds from that i can start creating a resource in a library and also i want to eventually hire other indigenous instructors instructors too so that yeah. they can also live in that library i love that now for the necklace where can we buy it and is it okay for like white people to buy it yeah so i think that's another like misconception a lot of people have is can i wear beaded earrings can i wear indigenous um uh jewelry or and i think it comes back to you have to have discernment and you also have to realize that these things are made for people to wear <laughs> these are made for purchase these are and if you don't want to culturally appropriate something then buy directly from an indigenous person and that mm -hmm. money is going towards them and going towards whatever work they're doing so that they could produce more indigenous art and work and so yes you can uh buy these necklaces unfortunately there's a limited amount i believe there's only 150 being okay. made and so i feel like that's gonna go really fast um it's gold plated uh two chain arrowhead necklace um the arrowhead represents just like a forward movement forward movement going forward um and also represents like protection and strength and for me mm -hmm. i have an arrowhead tattooed on the back of my behind my ear and it's uh, connected to my grandfather's necklace who found an arrowhead in the backyard of the childhood home i grew up in so there's a lot of connection there um yeah all the proceeds are going to go directly to the nonprofit. excellent so where can they get them so paris jewelers parisjewelers.com okay. i believe okay. yeah an uh, all-woman-led um, jewelry company here in Canada. Oh, awesome. And what about the medicine wheel necklace? Are you still selling those? Eventually, honestly, because of the pandemic, it's been putting a delay on sourcing mm -hmm. on where we're sourcing yeah. them from. And so we have a Montreal sourcer. And so we're just waiting for them to get here because the last ones weren't um, up to our standards, I guess you could say. And yeah, the medicine wheel necklace uh, is also the logo of the matriarch movement. And so same thing, all proceeds will go to the matriarch movement. When that comes out, it will be on the website. And tell listeners what the medicine wheel represents and why you chose it as the symbol for the matriarch movement. Yeah, so the medicine wheel um, is pretty prominent in a lot of indigenous teachings. And I want to say that there are different uh, teachings around it, depending on mm -hmm. which tribe you're from. Um, but it's a circle that encompasses the interrelatedness of everything and everyone, and it's divided into four sections, four to represent the four directions, the four seasons, the four um, aspects to your well-being, so physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. In order to be balanced in life, you need to be balanced within your medicine wheel. And on the center of the medicine wheel is you, yourself, your highest self you at your best and then on the outside of the medicine wheel is like your support system your family your friends and then on the outside of that circle is uh your community and then on the outside of that circle is uh globally internationally and so when you look at your life it's kind of like you have to start within you have to do the inner work before you can help out your community before you can help out uh globally 
And so coming back to these teachings, it also represents like the cycles of the seasons and also the cycles within your life. So birth to um, when you're an elder. And so it's a really good way of like encompassing all these teachings and tying them together. Love that. So if there's one takeaway that listeners should get out of this conversation, or if there's one way that they can provide support, what can you suggest? I think it comes back to uh, first education, just bringing awareness to what's happened in the traditional territory from where you live, who actually lived there too. What traditional territory do you live on? Do you know the history of that land? Do you know the history of the people? Uh, so education of, um, if you're in Canada, the Canadian history, if you're at educating yourself on the state's history, just education. I think that will uh, prevent a lot of racism and a lot of biases and stereotypes when you educate yourself. Another one would be, again, coming back to awareness and Mm -hmm. self-awareness, self-regulation and checking yourself, you know, where did I learn this from? Where did this stem from? Doing the inner work. Another way is amplify. So amplifying Indigenous voices, amplifying Indigenous influencers, uh, people that are out there in the community doing the work. And I think that comes into the next one is community and kinship and realizing that we don't always have all the answers. It's through the other people that we meet. And so telling someone about the stuff that you've learned too. I think when you have these conversations at your table, at within your community, within your network, I mean, it's going to create a ripple effect. And so what does reconciliation look for you and look like for you and what does shaping a future together look like for you and yeah those are some questions you can begin with thank you so much we really appreciate it thank you for having me you can find more of my work at my instagram at shayla0h also www.shaylastonechild.com www.matriarchmovement.ca you can follow the instagram matriarch.movement uh, and they'll there I'll be posting more of my work of the Matriarch Movement Library and Resource Center. Great. Thank you. For sure. You can also and watch. Oh, you can watch uh, Red Earth Uncovered on APTN. And you can also watch my brother's show on CW and CBC called The Trickster. Yeah, The Trickster is really cool. Really quick. I know we said we were wrapping, but tell us about The Trickster and the legend of it. Yeah, so The Trickster is a creation story. And... The one that my brothers in um, CBC and CW's Trickster, it's about the raven who is a shapeshifter. Uh, and this one specifically has ties to the Heisla Nation. And so this is a journey of um, finding out who he is, but also it's like birthing ancient indigenous wisdom into the collective consciousness now. And so it's like creating a thread through time. And so with these stories, when you're working with um stories that have a lot of supernatural powers, you kind of have to be careful because sometimes they can present itself in the physical form. And so what ended up happening with Trickster was uh, we kind of got tricked and the director was not in actually indigenous. She was a white Um. woman. And so, (laughs) yeah, Joel was signed for a three-year contract and that got, um, that's not happening. So, I mean, I don't know what the future looks like, but that also goes to show the power behind these creation stories is you have to be careful working with them because they may show up in physical form. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot to take in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was shocked. That took a turn. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, it's a whole, it's been getting a lot of press and a lot of heat in uh, a few months ago. So it's kind of, we're in a grieving process right now. Mm, okay. Yeah. 
Um, well, please pick up the March issue of Yoga Journal. You can see more from Shayla there. There's some amazing photography and a beautiful, beautiful story all about Shayla and the work that she's doing. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Shayla for joining us on the show. You can find her cover story on newsstands now and learn more about the matriarch movement at matriarchmovement.ca. That's it for the yoga show this week. Tune in two weeks from now to hear me try a sacred gratitude and cacao ritual with yoga teacher and author, Christine Olivia Hernandez. Cacao is a really beautiful, gentle plant medicine. And there are other plant medicines that we know about that are not so gentle, that are really intense, like the ayahuasca, you know, psilocybin, all Mm. these other things. There's so many other ones out there that are just a little bit more intense for our nervous systems. And I mean, honestly, unless you're having them in the jungle and you are there directly on those lands, I don't feel like it's for us to be having outside of that. The Yoga Show is produced by me and Aviv Rubenstein. Follow him on social media at Rambo Calrissian. Follow me on Instagram at lins.tucker. Theme music by Amory Siebertson. More from her at Amory Music on Instagram. Until next time, for The Yoga Show, I'm Lindsay Tucker. We'll see you on the mat. For weekly yoga, meditation, and breathing exercises from some of the world's best teachers, check out our sister podcast, The Practice, at yogajournal.com slash podcasts.